Hello and welcome to FITV's News Roundup. I'm Johnny Burke. And I'm Paula Fomes. Coming up on this week's programme, Exco paper on finfish fishery, news from the courts and wool advice for International Knitting Public Day. In the summary court on Wednesday morning, Miss Spywee Bore pleaded guilty to the possession of false documents. Miss Bore had passed her driving test in Zimbabwe last year. After paying $300 for documents, she received a photocard ID driving licence through the post, along with paper verification certificate. Although the details on the photocard had been correct, her signature wasn't, and Miss Bore attempted to contact the authorities to sort it out, but was unable to get to the bottom of it. Miss Bore arrived in the Falkland Islands in January this year, where she then applied to have her Zimbabwean documents exchanged for Falkland Islands ones. When the licensing bureau here contacted the authorities in Zimbabwe, they were told that the licence was fake and Miss Bore was arrested. Justices of the Peace fined Miss Bore a total of £450, including court costs, and ordered the destruction of the Zimbabwean driving licence. One case appeared in the coroner's court on Tuesday. Here's Catherine outside courts. The inquest into the death of Tri Priyoji concluded on the 9th of June with Her Majesty's Coroner, Mrs Sarah Whitby, recording a narrative verdict in which she stated that Mr Priyoji had died from a treatable condition of which the seriousness was not recognised. In the final stages of the inquest, Mrs Whitby heard evidence from a variety of people, including forensic pathologist Dr John Clark. Dr. Clark said that the 22-year-old Indonesian had clear evidence of tuberculosis in his upper left lung. It was also found in the post-mortem that it had likely developed into pneumonia and hemorrhages were found on his heart, which were not inevitably fatal. The cause of death listed on his post-mortem was pulmonary tuberculosis with pneumonitis and myocarditis. Dr. Clark said that Mr. Priyoji's condition would have been treatable and survivable but added that he died from the infection. Mrs Whitby also heard from Mr Chen Ho Yen, general manager of the fishing company Mr Priyoji worked for, who confirmed that the captain of the vessel had not received medical training and that records were not kept to monitor sick crew members. Neglect was not a factor in this case, however it was noted that the captain did not seem to understand the significance of a young man being ill for so long. Mrs Whitby said that the captain's assessment of the situation was flawed with tragic consequences. In the inquest, Mrs Whitby raised the issue of TB on fishing vessels and spoke to witnesses about what could be done to improve the situation. She pointed to evidence that in the last 10 years in the Falkland Islands, six fishermen have died from TB. Speaking to the court, Chief Medical Officer Dr Rebecca Edwards said that she has treated a number of seafarers from this illness who have gone on to recover. A preventing further death report will be written and circulated to appropriate parties looking into the issue of TB on fishing vessels and what can be done to help the situation. Closing the inquest, Mrs Whitby expressed her condolences to the family of Mr Priyoji. Last week, the Executive Council looked at a paper prepared by the offshore licensing advisor, McAllister Elliott and Partners, which included a review of the finfish fisheries and listed recommendations. In October 2019, the Falkland Islands government commissioned consultants McAllister Elliott and Partners to review aspects of the Falklands finfish fisheries. The report was delivered in July 2020 and in it MEP reviewed the institutional capacity of the FIFD, operational capacity, the science programme, 
stock assessments and how the fishery is managed. Here's Catherine with more on this. Most of the recommendations set out by MEP have been agreed by fisheries and in some cases these recommendations are already being put into force. The final recommendation by MEP is that they observe that the Falkland Islands fisheries currently involves a resource-intensive top-down approach and it recommends that a possible radical approach would be to adopt a fisheries management company approach, which, in their opinion, would give the fishing industry greater responsibility and accountability of key management services. For example, developing fishery management plans, calculating TACs and TAEs, monitoring catch and effort, and maintaining license and quote registers. The Director of Natural Resources' response was that this was not considered to be a realistic approach for the management of the Falkland Islands fisheries resources at this time. FITV have contacted Dr Andrea Clawson, Director of Natural Resources, who refused to be interviewed about this Escape paper and instead referred us to the press statement which came out last week on the matter. The Exco paper, along with the full report from McAllister, Elliott and Partners, is available from the Legislative Assembly website and it is quite a long paper. Of the main 10 observations and recommendations, FIG agreed with 9 of them and have already set in motion the framework to carry out these recommendations. The Exco paper concludes that the current approach to the management of the finfish fishery is not sufficiently addressing the decline in several of the stocks. In fact, the report says some stocks are regarded as being near depleted. If the management approach were to continue in this way, it may be likely that some other finfish stocks could collapse. Executive Council has approved the commencement of an order which will finally allow the Public Accounts Committee to have the power to require and compel the attendance of witnesses to the committee. The Public Accounts Ordinance was enacted in February 2010, but the order made in September of 2010 was never brought into force. No reason can be found for this and it appears to be merely an oversight, according to the Executive Council paper released last week. The order will now enable the PAC to exercise the powers it has under both the Constitution and the Ordinance. Now that the demining project has been completed, the Government are looking into the removal of minefield fences that can be found around the islands. Members of the Executive Council approved a paper to remove the fence lines over a three-year period. We spoke to MLA Roger Spink to find out what was involved in this and whether it was just a simple job of lifting the posts and wires out of the ground. PWD, I mean, PWD will do some of it, but uh, one of the issues is obviously the, having the resources, and there are lots of other things, other priorities that we have, and we do have a limited amount of labour. It's going to be done, I think, over three years, uh, and we've, we've redacted the amount of money in there because obviously the works will be tendered, uh, and therefore, you know, if, to put figures in there is actually... Uh, tempting providence or whatever and, and informing tenderers what they sh perhaps could charge. Um, so it'll be tendered, uh, we want to get on with it but uh, you know obviously there's a lot of work to be done and uh, you know we need to get on with it without a delay and we prioritised which areas will be done first. So for instance areas where there are horses out of Fox Bay I think were some of the areas that will be prioritised to get done first and then the other areas later on. In the Falkland Landholdings Committee meeting held on Monday morning, it was confirmed that all wool collected from this year's production has sold out. 
In total, 2,678 bales of wool have been sold, producing an income close to £1.9 million against a budget of £1.6 million. The sellout comes at a time when the wool market has begun to stabilise after a period of considerable volatility over the past 12 months. Last year, local farmers were supported by the government's COVID-19 Wool Producers Assistance Scheme, which saw FIG purchase and store unsold wool clip. Falkland Landholdings, who work closely with Woolco, described this year's sellout as a great result, but did warn that the continued risk of COVID-19 and a strengthening sterling could add negative pressure to the market. It means wool income this year is expected to be similar to that achieved during the 2019-2020 financial year. The first childcare business in the Falklands to receive financial support from the government's capital development grant officially opened last Friday. Bright Beginnings Nursery was awarded £200,000 by the government to help support the construction of a new building. The opening of the new premises on Sappers Hill comes at a time when demands on existing childcare facilities are being stretched to meet the growth in numbers of young people locally. We went along to the grand opening and spoke to MLA Stacey Bragger, who holds the portfolio for education and also owner of Bright Beginnings, Caitlin Mansilla. Bright Beginnings is uh, the first nursery to be built using the, uh, the funds available in the Capital Development Fund that was uh, established a couple of years ago. And it's uh, really fantastic to be here in this uh, beautiful new building. And uh, it's, it's really great to have uh, the first uh, the first building up and running. And uh, there's a couple more in the, in the offing as well. And it's just another really important step in the development of the childcare sector here in the Falklands. I started off working in nurseries and then I moved to work on my own and then kind of went from there. The money opportunity had come up so I thought I'll just take it, yeah. It's been almost three years, yeah, and it's great to finally have it and just let them experience it, yeah. They didn't really want to go back to school actually on the first day, yeah, because everything's new and yeah, it's nice for them, yeah. So there was a million pounds in total for, for the, uh, the fund, so um, Bright Beginnings were one of the, the first to apply for it and um, that money's been, been put to good use to, to uh, build this, uh, this uh, new nursery. The existing buildings where uh, Caitlin was operating from her, her own home before, so this having a purpose-built setting with uh, additional spaces is a, you know, is a real win-win for everyone. I've worked very hard to get it but it always pays off, yeah. I can take up to 30 at one time, um, so I have 30 on my books at the minute, so we're just kind of settling, yeah. If it becomes more, then I will look to extending in the future, yeah. yeah so it's a, it's a good problem to have, but we're getting uh, growing uh, numbers of children going through, through the schools, so um, that is uh, being planned for at the moment. There's a, a, a planned extension to fix on the, on the books and uh, also uh, longer-term plans for new infant junior school, so um, that's very much something that needs to be addressed in the future. In the Historic Building Committee this week, the current state of the Christchurch Cathedral was discussed. The cathedral, which was built in the 19th century, is not a listed building, but cracks are starting to appear. Here's Ollie with more. This is one of the oldest buildings in the Falkland Islands. It is of course the Christchurch Cathedral, built in the late 19th century. A magnificent building and one of the most southern Anglican churches in the world. Yet a few cracks are beginning to appear. 
Now, Exhibit A is the bricks and mortar, the foundations of the cathedral, and these bricks were locally imported. However, now they're beginning to turn to dust. Well, they have been here for more than 100 years, but in fact, sadly, they had started deteriorating within the first five years. What we're being told at the moment is that all the bricks that are eroding will have to be replaced individually, which is a major issue. Um, it means, first of all, finding good replacement brick um, and then finding skilled workmen who can actually take the old brick or what's left of it out and replace it. So a key feature of any church are the windows and here at Christchurch Cathedral they're starting to become bent under their own weight just like this one here. You can see at the bottom of the windows where the, the bar, the metal bar, is bending upwards pushing the window up and pushing the glazing out so, of course, that's causing a huge amount of stress um, for the windows. Some of them are beginning to crack, um, and we will, we will certainly have to do something about them fairly quickly. And finally, Exhibit C, which was brought up in the Historic and Building Committee, are cracks that are starting to appear in the brick and mason work. These cracks are filled with water and then freeze over and expand causing problems to the brick and mortar, just like this one here. The, the cracks have obviously been there for quite a long time because you can see that uh, work has been done on them in the past. Um, I think they have probably opened more over recent years, um, but they've got to the point now where something has to be done before the wall falls out. <laughs> Now, astonishingly, the Christchurch Cathedral, despite its age, isn't a listed building. And that means the FIG, the Falkland Islands government, are not directly responsible. However, it's clear that there must be some collaboration to make sure that the work is done now. What we're trying to do is to raise awareness at the moment. The listing procedure here, it's a system where you opt in rather than opt out. Um, we are taking as many precautionary steps as we can. The structural engineer has assured us that it is safe, so I think everybody can be reassured that that is the case. When you're living on an island surrounded by water, you can't help but have a vested interest on what lurks beneath the deep blue sea. World Oceans Day falls on the 8th of June and raises awareness on issues in the ocean. We spoke to Cetacean Project Officer Caroline Weir about the state of the seas. Despite it making up 70% of the Earth's surface, scientists know more about the surface of the Moon than they know about our ocean floors. In the Falkland Islands, our ocean outlook is positive. The waters surrounding the Falklands were recently designated a say whale key biodiversity area. There are rising southern right whale populations and there is a continued funding into marine research. It's great to see people putting so much value in the oceans and that there is funding coming forward for oceanic research, marine research. And that doesn't have to mean miles offshore in the, in the, out in the deeps. It can mean in our coastal waters as well, which are really important areas. Um, and of course, heavily used by people, that's where most of the marine activities occur that might impact on some of these creatures is around the coastal fringes um, of the shoreline. So 
yeah, I, I think it's a really sort of healthy time for marine research and for some of these species. It's amazing to see them recovering and everyone out enjoying them. While the oceans around the Falklands are in a healthy position, it's important to be aware of ocean habitats and the impact it can have on everyone's lives. A lot of people view the ocean as something that's not part of them and it's not part of their world. It's a place you go to, you go to the beach, you know, um, to relax at the end of the day or something. And there's a sort of a disassociation in a way between us living in our terrestrial lives and the ocean out there when actually the planet is blue. It's 70% ocean and uh, like I said, these are the lungs of the, of the planet. So, it, you know, it's about remembering that everything that goes into the ocean and everything we take out of the ocean does have an impact um, and we want to really carefully look after it into the future. Back in 2005, an event was organised which has literally gone worldwide. We looked into the origins of Worldwide Knit in Public Day and spoke to Vicky Bernston from the Falkland Islands Wool Company. It's been 16 years since that first Worldwide Knit in Public Day and it has since grown to over a thousand events organised throughout nearly 60 different countries. The Falkland Islands, being a wool-producing country, has quite a few crafters who use the wool to produce amazing creations. We spoke to Vicky Bernston of the Falkland Islands Wool Company about what makes Falklands wool so desirable. Falkland Islands wool uh, in itself is very white, which makes it easier to dye. Um, it's very clean of vegetable matter such as grass seeds and um, burr. So in Australia they have a lot of grass seed and burr. And so sometimes the process when it goes from greasy wool to a top, it has to go through that process twice, which is quite costly. So there, there's discounts on that, whereas in the Falklands we don't have a lot of that. So it can go through the system really quick. It's, it's white, like I said, um, and clean. As a fibre, wool is excellent at maintaining an even body temperature. The fibres are able to absorb moisture in the environment to create a dry layer next to the skin. Um, also, when uh, washing wool, you don't have to wash it all the time. You can do, you can wash. I've got woolen jumpers that I wash every ninth or tenth wear, um, and there's no microplastics in that wool. It's 100% woolen jumpers. So when when the water comes out of the washing machine, there's no microplastics going into the ocean afterwards. Years ago, Corridale and Polworth were the main breeds of sheep here in the Falklands, producing a heavy and coarse fibre. Although wool has a reputation for being itchy and heavy, finer wools are now being used as base layers and summer clothing. Whereas now in the last 15 years with the AI programme through the Department of Agriculture, uh, people have been looking more at the micron and they've been bringing that down. So before, 15 years ago, our average micron was probably 26, 27 um, microns. But now uh, I looked at our average at Woolco this year and we're at 22.8. So we really, the, the, the cream of the microns in the global scale of things is probably 19 to 23. And we're bringing ourselves down to that, which is great news. Alongside these desirable traits though, sustainability is the key word. Falkland Islands wool and Falkland Islands farming in general is very sustainable. You know, you go out to the majority of the farms, if not all have 24 hour power, which is with the wind generators or solar power. Um, all of the um, water comes from a gravity fed um, spring and things like that. And that's all sustainable and helping the product. The responsible wool standard is not just looking at the farm and the welfare of the animals. It looks at the processes along the whole supply chain right to the end product. 
Some shops now will only buy wool products if they have this RWS stamp on them. The other great thing about it is, is the traceability of the wool. So um, with our smartphones we can scan the ticket and it will bring you back to the Falkland Islands. And, and we're lucky enough here that we've got a big enough, um, some of the farms are large enough to have their own clip. So it could, they've got the wool just from one farm. And that is what the consumers are looking at now, is that traceability back to farm and the nature that the, the animals are being brought up in and the wool was produced in. So this Worldwide Knit in Public Day, whether you knit it or crochet it or spin it or felt it, you know that Falklands Wool has been on a long journey and is produced to the best of standards. And finally, the first fully electric fleet of cars arrived in the Falklands this week as part of a new environmental project launched by E-Link, a new sustainable division of local company Atlink. Four Kias are now being trialled to test the overall suitability for the Falkland Islands environment. An initial testing has begun on the roads of Stanley, with the trial set to continue with visits to camp to check the range and practicality of the electric models. That's it for this week's News Roundup. If you would like to subscribe to FITV, you can watch via the KTV broadcast or online through our website, fitv.co.fk. Alongside this News Roundup, we also produce a light-hearted look at the week in our podcast, Meanwhile in the Falklands, which is also available on Spotify, iTunes and SoundCloud. Join us next time. Goodbye. <laughs>